Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi there, and welcome to the Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rakaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. Earlier this week, we got the August update of the U.S. Consumer Price Index. This is the last major data release that we'll get before the Fed's meeting next Wednesday. So for this week's episode, I've invited my colleague Ryan Swift to join me on the podcast. Ryan heads up BCA's U.S. bond strategy service, and he'll help unpack what the latest data is signaling about inflationary trends in the U.S. and the implications for Fed policy. Hi, Ryan. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So we got the CPE release earlier this week, which showed an acceleration in August. So, for example, on a month on month basis, headline inflation accelerated from 0.2% to 0.6% and core inflation rose from 0.2% to 0.3%, which was slightly above expectations that it would remain unchanged. So what are your key takeaways from the report? Do you think that the disinflation trend is still intact? And there are so many ways of looking at inflation, whether it's headline core, super core, trim mean, median, annual, three month, one month, et cetera. So how do you cut through all of these different measures? What are the metrics that you believe are superior when it comes to getting a sense of what's happening to inflation? First in general, yes, the print was somewhat higher than we were the last two months. So especially on headline, uh, but I guess to the second part of your question, when the focus is on how monetary policy uh, may respond to the inflation numbers, we definitely wanna look at either a core or a trimmed mean measure because those measures simply have more predictive power about where inflation is gonna head in the future than just the headline number that includes the volatile food and energy prices. And so at a first sort of blush, when we look at those numbers, I would say that the sort of broad disinflationary path that we've been on the last little while uh, certainly remains intact. So the core number, as you mentioned, was a bit stronger in August than what we saw in June or July. But it is still, other than June and July, the lowest monthly print we've seen going back to fall of 2021. So we are still printing much lower monthly core numbers than we've been accustomed to seeing the past couple of years, consistent with this idea that inflation is coming down. As for you know your question about how different ways we can decompose price indexes, I think it's always best to start with either a core or a trimmed mean measure to get a sense of the overall trend, just something that strips out the most volatile components Um, either by stripping out food and energy specifically, which tend to be the most volatile, or a trim mean measure that strips out each month the actual most highest rising and biggest falling uh, components. Uh, To get at the same idea, both of those are good ways of looking at it. And then if you want to go beyond that and start looking at individual components, that can be useful, but it's going to change depending on the environment, what you want to look at, what the goal should be, what sort of decomposition is going to give me some sort of clue about what's going to happen in the future. And right now, I do think there's a pretty useful way of looking at inflation, which is to look at core inflation without shelter, and then to look at shelter inflation on its own. And the reason this decomposition is pretty helpful right now 
is that if we strip out shelter inflation, the last three months or even a little bit longer than that, core inflation, excluding shelter, has more or less already recovered all the way back to where it was pre-pandemic. So to the extent that inflation is still high compared to where we were prior to 2020, it's pretty much all coming from shelter inflation at this point. This is pretty good news from a forecasting perspective because we have a lot of good reasons to expect shelter inflation to come down over the next six to 12 months based on trends in asking rents, rental vacancy rates, basically the trend for decelerating rent growth in the apartment market sort of nationwide is suggesting very strongly that there's a lot of downside in shelter inflation to come. So looking at it this way, it does seem to me that it's very likely inflation is going to keep trending lower going forward. But if we take a look at what's going on on the headline level, when it comes to the disinflation trend, one recent development that's concerning is what's happening in the commodity space and specifically the recent increase in oil prices since the end of June. So in August, for example, the gasoline component of the CPI basket accounted for over half of the increase in the headline index. And today we got the update of the producer price index, which surprised to the upside on the back of higher energy costs. So what's the likelihood that higher energy costs are passed through to these other components of the CPI basket? And in that sense, what are your thoughts on the magnitude of this risk to the disinflation trend? Yeah, so I do think there's a risk for, I think it's not immediate, but maybe for the middle of next year, that we do see inflation start to perk up again. Um, and there's two possible ways this could happen. One would be sort of the channel you describe, which is that if commodity prices, energy prices in particular, keep rising, initially, that's not really a very big deal for core inflation, but eventually that will pass through to other input costs and start to put some upward pressure on certain segments of core inflation in particular. You know, it's also important to keep in mind that there's also a disinflationary aspect to rising energy prices, because while you know, it doesn't affect core inflation calculation immediately. It does matter for just consumer pocketbooks, right? And real income growth. There is sort of a medium to longer run economic drag on consumer spending as gasoline prices rise. But I do think that's a risk for the middle of next year if we can continue to see rising energy prices going forward and sort of this persistent increase. But also I think the other sort of big risk there that would really lead to the second wave of inflation is if we start to reverse some of the progress that has been made in terms of the labor market the last few months. So we've seen payroll growth sort of steadily slowing, even though the unemployment rate hasn't really risen off its lows, uh, much off its lows, I should say. We have seen the number of jobs being added every month come down. We've seen fewer people quitting their jobs. We're seeing less vacancies. So we're seeing a lot of signs that labor demand is cooling. If that process starts to go in reverse and we're seeing high and rising energy prices, that would be a pretty potent cocktail for inflation to start moving up again. But I think it's pretty premature to say we should expect that to happen. When it comes to the policy implications of all this, how do you expect the latest inflation data to feed into the Fed's decision next week? So today, for example, we got the ECB, which delivered a dovish hike, signaling that they have likely reached the end of the tightening cycle. But the ECB is a single mandate central bank, while the Fed has a dual mandate. So do you think that this difference implies that the Fed is more inclined to stand pat next week? And 
what are you watching for when it comes to the revisions that they'll make to the summary of economic projections and the updated dot plot? Yeah, so for the Fed meeting next week, the speeches we've seen the last couple of weeks have really telegraphed that they won't be lifting rates next week. So I would strongly suspect that they will not hike rates next week. That's been pretty heavily telegraphed in their recent communications. The more probably market moving possibilities to move markets around next week will come from, as you said, how they revise their economic and interest rate expectations in the summary of economic projections. And there, I would say again, with very high conviction that their inflation forecasts are going to have to come down. So right now, the median forecast for 2023 core inflation is 3.9%. That's core PCE inflation. And we're tracking to come in well below that on core PC inflation for this year. So that forecast is almost certainly going to have to drop. Coincident with that, I think when we're looking at the interest rate forecasts for this year, I think we're going to see a lot more of an even split between the number of people who anticipate having to hike one more time and the number of people who anticipate not having to hike anymore at all. And I wouldn't be surprised if the median dot falls to where we're no longer expecting another rate hike. I don't think that's a given, but I think certainly we'll see those 2023 forecasts shift down and at least we'll see that there is a lot of people looking to stand pat and some number of people expecting to have to hike again. Um, And then if we look out to 2024 projections, I think it's pretty likely we'll see them start to pencil in fewer rate cuts for 2024. This would be kind of a messaging tool if they do bring down the number of rate hikes anticipated this year. They could try to soften the communications blow of that. They could also pencil in fewer cuts next year, Um, but also because as sort of an acknowledgement to the fact that measures of GDP growth are tracking sort of above trend at the moment. So an acknowledgement to the fact that, you know, we don't seem to be all that close to hitting a recession. Well, thanks a lot for joining me this week, Ryan, and we'll see what happens next week. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Quick Takes podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly quick takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. Stay tuned for next week's episode.